Good evening. My name is Lane LaRue, as Tony said. I have the privilege of serving on staff here at Bethel Church and have the privilege of opening up the Word this evening with you. In the short time that we have together, I want to focus our attention on Luke 23, beginning in verse 33. So if you have your Bibles with you or pull out your phones, you can turn to that or flip open to that. And uh, if you don't, we all have it also on screen. But we so often can come to familiar texts such as this one and, and fail to grasp the intensity of what is really taking place. And this passage that we've read already on the screens, passage that we hear often right around this time every year, uh, is no exception. And so Luke writes, chapter 23, beginning in verse 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And jump down to verse 38. It says, There was also an inscription over Jesus. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The weight of this text is in the room tonight. I feel that every time I come into a service such as this one, the room's dark, the candles cast our shadows upon the walls. We breathe in an air that is is heavy and has a way to draw out of us questions and thoughts of who we really are to the surface. Good Friday is a way of stripping us and laying us bare, fully exposed. And this feeling of ours is exactly what this one thief expresses in the text. He's hanging there naked, stripped of all dignity, of all accolades, labeled for all to see that his identity is thief, sinner. There's a sense from him, even his lack of standing before God himself. This identity is just. It's what he deserves. It's a comprehensible verdict. This is where our familiarity of this passage can blind us. We almost sympathize with this thief because of his brokenness and vilify the other criminal. But Mark explains that with Jesus, they crucified two robbers, one on his left and one on his right. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. You see, this thief reviled Jesus as much as the other. He mocked his identity as Christ and King. They did not refer to him as Christ as if to acknowledge, you are the long-awaited Messiah. You are the one that is to save us from our sins. Rather, it was, you're this Christ. You're this one, they say, that raises people from the dead and heals the sick. Meet our demands and take us off this cross. It was self-seeking. It was self-centered. There was no sense of repentance or remorse. And knowing this makes the changes now the thief's action response to Jesus 
And Jesus' response to him so astonishing. Because there they hang with their very identities nailed above their heads for all to see. Sinners and Savior. He sees past the verdict that he knows is his. And he looks to Christ's identity. Remember me, he pleads. Remember me when you enter your reign. He's saying, don't remember me for what I am before you right now. I am a thief. I'm a reviler. I'm a sinner. But please, Jesus. He calls out to him by his name, Jesus, which in the Hebrew is the God who saves. He's saying, the God who saves, save me. Let me be with you, please. He recognizes his identity as sinner and Jesus and Savior and asks for a new identity. Not one of wretch, but righteous. One not of sinner, but saint. And Jesus grants his plea. Again, it's easy to come to this passage and miss the gravity of what's taking place. This man is a sinner feeling the weight of his sin. What about you? Do you feel this weight? Or has your scoffing at the claims of Jesus made you ignorant of it, like these onlookers in the text? You come in here, and you see this just as a performance, just as an annual show. And at the end of the day, you just find it to be a load of rubbish. You see everything in this place except for the reality of who you truly are. My friend, can you, like the thief, recognize that you are a sinner? What just moments ago was a portrait of Jesus reviled by this thief is now him pleading for repentance. Will that be you? Or are you coming in here and there's a sense of uneasiness? There's a turning in your stomach skipping the heartbeat in your chest. There's a fear that you will be found out, that your sins will be labeled all across for everyone to see. And alongside that fear is a sense of despair that you're drowning in your sin. You're drowning, unable to save yourself, unable to get a breath of air. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to keep moving. Do you see yourself as a sinner tonight? Canon Peter Green wrote that only the man who's prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. Does your heart cry like the thief, pleading to be remembered against the weight, the weight of this guilt and this shame? Does your heart cry, do not forsake me, God. Don't turn away from me. Save me, please. Are you beginning to sense the urgency of what not only this thief felt, but what we feel too? The urgency to be saved, but the fear that it will never come. Anticipating this, Luke pulls back the narrative, beginning in verse 44, to reveal an incomprehensible wrath. And he writes, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, to your hands I commit my spirit. 
And having said this, he breathed his last. Notice the imagery here in the text. Darkness over the land. Darkness is often a picture and an image in scripture of judgment. The curtain torn in two. Symbol and a sign that man is separated from a holy God. And Jesus gives up his spirit. The one who claimed to be the resurrection and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. The one who called forth Lazarus from the grave is now dead. Here's the question. Who's being judged? Thief said they were receiving the wage of their sins, which is death. But what is this imagery of divine judgment? Mark explains that at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is being judged. The wrath held over the head of this thief now covers the land in darkness and is poured out on one object, Christ himself. Why does Jesus promise paradise to the sinner who deserves wrath? Because Jesus drank the wrath that was his and ours. We receive incomprehensible mercy because he satisfied incomprehensible wrath. This is the love of God sending Jesus to satisfy God's wrath stored up against sinners like you and like me. Before we ever gave a second look, before we ever loved him, Jesus loved this thief in the midst of his hatred towards Christ. Jesus was dying for him as him. This is the marvel of this portrait. Both Jesus and the thief have been laid bare. The thief found wanting. Jesus found perfect. Yet the thief receives life and the Holy One receives death. Why? Because Jesus did not merely die for the ungodly. He became the ungodly. As Chloe shared earlier, the wrath of God poured out on Christ reveals how severe our sin truly is before a holy God. That Christ did not merely die, but he was utterly exposed and mocked and shamed. Removed of all human dignity, showing how truly shameful sin is. Gasping for air in a, much, in a very vivid way. An image of the guilt that should have been ours that is now on his shoulders. When God poured out his wrath upon Golgotha, he poured out the wrath stored up for this thief on Jesus. As if Jesus was the thief. As if Jesus was the tax collector Zacchaeus, who found his identity and his worth and possessions and power. As if Jesus was Nicodemus, self-righteous Pharisee, or Tracy, as was shared earlier, trying to earn God's love. With their good deeds, their attempts at good works, and their religious traditions and rituals. As if Jesus was Mary Magdalene, enslaved to sin and despair. And the woman at the well, finding love in all the wrong places and seeking after men. They all received mercy, incomprehensible mercy. And here we are, no different than this dialogue in Luke. 
We come in here finding ourselves wanting. Coming in with our spiritual resumes. And if we're all honest, they don't meet up to God's standards. The weight of the law's call to be perfect as God is perfect is utterly overwhelming. We stand before the perfection of God and are found wanting. We know it. Our sin accuses us. The enemy voices it. And like the thief, we recognize the verdict to do our deeds. We are stripped bare, exposed to shame, accused of what is ours. But our sin does not have the final word. These resumes of exposed shame are not our lasting identities. Jesus, standing in our midst, calls us to be clothed in righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. For in one single day, in one moment, sin was removed. Payment was made. To be clothed in the first century was a sign of honor. What was meant to be a public display of our shame became a public display of our honor as Jesus succumbed to and bore the guilt and the shame and the reviling that was meant to be ours. We too, like the thief, we walk out clothed in mercy, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, honored as guests in his kingdom. This was to be our execution, our crushing under the guilt of sin, our cowering in shame, But instead, we walk out in celebratory remembrance, freed, boldly able to approach him in grace. Tonight, may our hearts cry, forsake us not. Tonight, may we look to the cross and hear Jesus' reply. Today, you are remembered. Today, you are mine. Today, life and mercy are yours. For today, I was forsaken. Today, I am not his. Today, death and wrath are mine. It is finished. This and this alone is the better word. Jesus heard our plea. You are dearly loved. As part of this service this evening, we want to take a moment and allow you to approach the cross, to approach the Lord. Some of you come in here with the burden, the guilt, the shame of sin. Come, lay it aside, for he took on your shame and your guilt. Some of you come in here and you have forgotten that God loves you. Hear once more that you are dearly loved as his beloved son and daughter. Your adoption has been secured in his blood. And some of you are coming in here exhausted, trying and attempting to earn God's favor. Find rest in the declaration that it is finished.